everyone. Today I'm releasing a conversation I had with Sunil Pai, who is a former React core team member and also influential and responsible for a lot of things in the JavaScript ecosystem from Babel plugin macros to CSS and JS, uh, I think the Emotion library. And he's now working at Cloudflare on developer experience. And we had a pretty wide ranging conversation, starting out with the stuff that I've done at Temporal and how it relates to React. We talked about state charts and declarative versus imperative programming. We talked about the future of React. In particular, he just gave a talk at CityJS London on React streaming server rendering, which I think people are kind of sleeping on, and I kind of agree with that. We talked a bit about Next.js and the interesting politics that's uh, developing around that. We talked about the third age of JavaScript, like the trends of particularly with ES build going on. We talked a little bit about no code and why there may be more money serving less sophisticated users, as well as JavaScript Twitter and the meta around what performance discussions look like and how we can elevate the conversation. And that's a little bit about what I'm trying to do here, which is I'm trying to get the interesting conversations in long form off of Twitter and onto a medium like this, whether it's audio podcasts or on YouTube. So if you like this, let me know. If you have suggestions for what conversations you'd like me to have, let me know. I guess I'm trying to do more of these in public because I feel like it's actually very rewarding to connect with people offline and just talk about their, you know, talk through some complex and nuanced topics uh, in longer than 280 characters. So here's a conversation. Okay, so the first topic we want to talk about is React and Temporal, right? I feel Temporal is introducing a shift into the workflow ecosystem, which is very similar to the one that React introduced to the JavaScript framework system. That's the hope. I don't know if like my explanation of temporal tech has reached everybody or has reached you. There are three core opinions, right? The first is that whenever you cross system boundaries, when you call external APIs or when you call internal microservices, there's a chance of failure and that multiplies the more complex your system gets. So you need a central orchestrator that holds all the retry state and logic as well as timers and it tracks all the events and, and is able to resume from, it, from failure. Uh, second opinion that you should have is you should do event sourcing rather than try to just write your business logic and then instrument with observability logs after the fact, you should have your logs as the source of truth. And if it's not in the log, it did not happen. And then the final piece is the workflows as code, which is the one that you're, you're fo focusing on, which is the programming model. In the sense that like all the other competitive workflow engines like Amazon Step Functions, Apache Airflow, Daxter, like there's a bunch in, in this category. They're all sort of JSON and YAML DSLs. And the bind that you find yourself in is that basically you're reinventing a general purpose programming language inside of these JSON and YAML DSLs because you find the need for loops, branching, variables, functions, all the basic stuff. Mm -hmm. And people find that like at the end of the day, all this tooling is available. You just have to uh, make it run in, inside of a general purpose programming language. So that's what Temporal offers. But it's very interesting because it kind of straddles the imperative versus declarative debate, right? React, people view as declarative. And I think it's mostly declarative. Like there's imperative escape hatches. And because it's declarative, people can have a single sort of render model of their entire app for, for the entire tree. And I think it makes sense to them. And you're saying that that's better, right? That's better than the imperative predecessor of like jQuery and randomly hooking up stuff and not having things uh, tied up together. You sounded like you wanted to interrupt. No, so it's actually two things. One is that jQuery had an imperative API yeah. and then they went way too hard into the declarative side with templating languages and then started reinventing stuff there. So really React was like, no, you need access to an imperative language to create 
you need a fully featured programming language to generate description trees like dom trees or in this case uh, workflow graphs got it so it's kind of like a halfway solution maybe <laughs> maybe anyway so the the problem with us is that we're trying to say that imperative is better than declarative for the purposes of expressing general purpose business logic which is a interesting sell for me because in all other respects, I'm very used to arguing that declarative is better. Then there's also an, an idea that people should build declarative layers on top of us. It's just a very interesting like back and forth between declarative and imperative that I, I don't know where I really stand apart from like wherever we are is not never good enough. So we need to add another layer to solve the current problems. <laughs> there's, a, there's a phrase for it and I forget what it's called. The mechanism of, it says that uh, the system that allows you to execute stuff should not be the same system that prevents you from doing bad things. So there's a core, which is basically a fully featured API. And then you put guardrails around like the experience. For example, as an example, this is like adding TypeScript on top of JavaScript, let's say. Unlike ReasonML, let's say like OCaml or a very strongly typed uh, language, where if your code doesn't compile, you can't really run the code. In TypeScript, there are times when you're like, you know what, I need an escape hatch to actually like do something like really funky here, X, Y, and Z. That, that's not even well expressed in either the type system or sometimes even the language itself. You need to like hack it and like you might even eval a couple of things. Uh, and in React, this was, I think when React came, it, it wasn't just that it was a, oh, like there's JSX. It was very much a, okay, uh, I have a lot of existing code so I can add react to one part of it and then hook onto the DOM it renders and then have like this whole jQuery widget that I would like render onto the thing. Uh, so it gave you this whole incremental path to adopting this system. But then like it, the, at, after a point like react just consumes all of it. And the fuck up with react is if you go too hard into react doing stuff like animations is like impossible, which is oh why God. like we're still going, we're at least a year or two away like from a good animation API in react or well, you use a Framer or uh, whatever Framer has become right now, like a Framer. Pop motion, no. Um, yeah, Framer Motion, I think. Yeah, but he's working. I think uh, Matt is now working on like a new new thing that's got a really funky name. Like it sounds like a robot's name or something. All right. <laughs> um, but it was curious to me that React's biggest deal was that, hey, like you have, they talk about it being declarative, but a whole lot of things you wrote were like in regular as JavaScript. You would say on click and get an event and start doing things. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a, it's a Just, perfect blend. Yeah. Right. And you would suffer with this in. So there was the jQuery prototype phase, which was like directly imperative. And then they went hard in the other direction with type templating languages like Jade and Dust. And uh, there were a number of popular ones at the time. And that's when like even Angular 1 became super popular because they're like, here's the whole kit and kaboodle, full whole framework. And then Rea <laughs> React came and said, oh, we are just the view, but that's because they didn't want to release like Relay yet. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all you need. And the whole ecosystem popped. Anyway, so in Temporal, Temporal for me is particularly interesting for that because it is now clearly making that... <clears throat> I hate the phrase, but it's a good one. The paradigm shift of like how you start thinking about these systems. You just write some fucking code and then like you start adding on uh, bits and guardrails for the things you want to do, which is on for the few hours I spent going through the docs and failing to get it running on my laptop. That's my understanding of it. Feel free to like correct me. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I'll try this 
messaging on you because it's something that we're consciously designing for. In fact, I have a, one of my API proposals was React-like API for Temporal. And so essentially what we enable you to do is bundle up each individual service or job into a component that we happen to call workflow. Um, mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> my struggle here is that I currently tie component to workflow because what is a component? Like it, it's, it's something that's self-contained that is uh, deterministic. Like it, it has a strict rule of execution from top to bottom, right? That it just does the same thing every single time. Uh, where we differ and why I struggle with this is because we put all the side effects into things that we call activities. That's where all the non-deterministic stuff goes. And that one gets retried basically at Temporal's will. And essentially Temporal is serving as the central runtime or framework that has knowledge of all of these workflows and activities and can re-render them based on its internal rules, like retries, timeouts, uh, heartbeats, all that good stuff. Um, so I struggle to think like, which is the component and which is the hook or the <laughs> effect. <laughs> and then there's other concepts. So uh, we have ways to send signals into individual workflows, right? That's a very important property of, of the, the system that you can send data in while it's running and you can get data out while it's running. I'm not sure that's reflected in, in React at all. So maybe I'm stretching the analogy too much. Solid had an answer for that, the word signal. So like SolidJS, this is by Ryan Karniat, the Marco folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, signals are a first class concept in the framework. Again, I haven't dived into it de- in detail in a while, but it feels like an important thing. And I've always wondered why React actually didn't have it because props are something that you just like pass, right? And uh, it's just a value. Like if you like plot it on a graph, for example, it's, uh, let's say it's a, if you had to have like a graph of binary values, it would be either zero or like one, and that would be the shape of the graph. But signals are something that can be like something that happens and yeah. Like just pops up and goes down, like pressing a key on a keyboard. And that's actually not so easy to define in uh, in a React-like system, like uh, which is why it's kind of hard to build like audio processing graphs with like React or JSX. Uh, I don't have like a good answer. I'd probably have to like hack on temporal a little more. But the idea of like signals as uh, a channel through which you can like send information and having it as a first class part of the system is something that's not represented well in well in React at least. Yeah. Well, you know, isn't that an an action for reducers? An event, effectively. Yes. Yeah. Like it's basically one of those actions. The problem is that uh, everything just ties right into the the component tree instead of just having the component be a sort of isolated unit that can in, function independently. That's the other thing, which is. Uh, a workflow engine isn't a directed acyclic graph. In fact, it no. could have cycles. It could mm-hmm. have cycles and it could have a number of other things. Which is the beautiful so, thing, by the way. For us, co- coding a subscription platform literally is charge stripe, sleeps 30 days, charge stripe again, and then infinite loop until you, you cancel and then you break out of the loop. That's it. That's just awesome, by the way. <laughs> so I was actually thinking that someone's going to implement, not j- someone's going to implement, uh, Someone's going to use Redux Saga on top of Temporal is what I was thinking, because then you will have generators that define like long running processes that are just talking to each other. I think that would be good. <laughs> the folks inside Cloudflare also love Temporal, by the way. Like we were talking about it like for a while. They're like, oh, this is like fundamentally a new thing. And as you can imagine, some engineers were like, well, why isn't this running on workers? I'm like, I don't know. Why isn't it running on workers? Like maybe we should get it there. It is fairly heavy duty right now. We're trying to reduce that to a single binary, which uh, could maybe run on workers. I'm not sure about the memory requirements that, that you guys have. It could. Uh, it's, just, it's just not not a priority for us 
based on our existing users. Um, oh, I hear you. I hear you. I was just, I was just, yeah. they were saying what they were saying. They want everything to run on workers. And I'm like, dude, it's just like one small V8 isolate, like calm down. It's fine. <laughs> Ironically, we're also using V8 isolates for our TypeScript runtime. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and that's just to make sure that people don't do non-deterministic stuff. So we mock out everything, which is also pretty cool because whenever you use a library with a, like set timeout inside of that library, that persists to us as well. So we set the durable timer. Your system can go down and we, we bring it back up and you're using our timer, not the, the JavaScript runtime timer, which is like just awesome. There's a trade-off to that, which is things don't work when you import them like you would in a normal Node.js project. So what do you mean? Oh, because so. you have to inject them into the environment of the V8 isolate. And you can't just randomly import stuff that, that as freely as you would in a normal node environment. So dependency injection becomes a, a topic for us. <laughs> um, yeah, we actually clashed a little bit with David Korshid because David is on this warpath of like everything in a state machine, right? Everything in the time-tested 40-year-old JSON format that mm-hmm. describes state machines. And we actually thought we were going to be competitive with him for a while because for him, the thing about writing imperative code is that it's prone to bugs. Right, like you cannot really see the full, possible the full span of like all the possible states you're exposing. But but in a state machine, everything's explicit. So he was butting heads with our founder for a while. But I think recently he decided that he's better off building on top of us than trying to compete with us on the reliability front. So that's that's kind of an interesting evolution that has happened over the past year on this topic of declarative versus imperative. So I'm still like coming to terms with it. Like I'm not fully. Um, okay with it yet, <laughs> but it clearly is more expressive. And that's something I'm very in favor of. And I have genuinely looked at like the workflow solution from Google, the workflow solution from Amazon, and they are literally have you write the abstract syntax tree by hand in JSON. And that's just absolutely no way that <laughs> that's going to work. So I'm pretty down with the imperative approach for now. <laughs> well, that's, I, I figured at some point you will run Xstate on it and Xstate should work fairly well, I think on Temporal. I don't see yeah. why it would Right? Like, I think that, that that would actually like... Honestly, I'm not really sure what he's going to charge for. He's pushing the idea of state machines and making it more of a commonly accepted thing. Well, his pitch isn't even state machines. It's very specifically state charts. And I love state charts. Yeah. I even bought the book, by the way, the Ian Horrocks Ooh, book. Ooh, the $700 book. <laughs> so when I got it on Amazon, it was $180. I was like, Ooh. cheap, let's do it. I got really lucky at the time. It, it fluctuates like mad, by the way, that, uh, <laughs> that value. Well, you should expense it now is what it is. Um, but uh, what struck me about the thing, I, here's what I, I, I tried, I really liked it. And I took a couple of steps back and I was trying to understand, well, why isn't it like a success? Why don't people get into it? And the truth is that this falls not just into the intersection of, uh, this is the intersection of like computers and humans in the sense that sure, there are things that can be correct, but there are to be things that can be expressible as well. Like, I don't even know what code I want to write when I'm sitting down to like write it. I, I'll have to like discover it while I'm writing it. And really the all the syntax that we have created and the abstractions we have created around programming languages have been purely to express these things and have, let's call it implicit state machines, even though that Im- implies that it's bad. Um, so for example, if you look at state charts, there's no real good way to compose two state charts together. You have to like manually start wiring them together. And like, that's, you know, like you can't, in React you say, oh, compo- if you have two components to put it together, you put like a little uh, function around it. And now it's uh, two components in one component. So yeah. it's important not just to have a good unit of computation, but to have it like be composable with each other so that you can 
gather it and then make this whole nesting doll react dorm tree of things. And I think uh, until there's an actual language that supports, that has state charts as a first class primitive, much like Lucy, I think that's what Matthew Phillips built. He wrote, a, he wrote an, a, an actual language that compiles to state charts called uh, Lucy Lang. That was, that's very cool, by the way. Like, I really like it. Uh, well, and it's fairly young, so it's, it's too early to say whether people like love it or not. And other than, well, people like you and me who look at something like, fuck, this is awesome, let's all use it. No, like, it'll take a while to grow. But I think that's the, th like, state charts has a bit of dissonance with the languages that it's written in right now because it's not a first class thing. I mean, it's a JSON object with keys and you're like, okay, like, we can do better maybe. Well, uh, but I would not bet against David and the people he's hiring, like he's hiring some smart people. Yeah, they're, yeah of course. they're the people we know, they're all like very intelligent. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I'm just glad that we're not competing. Uh, so that's, that's <laughs> something that, that, <laughs> that resolved itself without any intervention from me, which is very good. <laughs> well, let's have this conversation since it's related. Should React be more of a DSL? You know oh, this conversation well, that, that happened over this week? So I'll pull it up. <laughs> uh, wait, so I've, I'm seeing, is this the whole Svelte versus React thing that's been happening over the last two, three days? Yes. So basically it's saying React is already so far that almost like its own language, it should just embrace it more. And instead of using linting to catch rule violations, just make a DSL. People are going to use it. It's fine. And just like build things in so that it's impossible to make these errors that, that people commonly make. So this know. is Mike Sherov. Uh, he was talking about it. He mentioned how it shouldn't be a lint rule. And since we already have custom syntax in JSX, you should introduce a couple of other things. So as you can imagine, the React team has thought about this a lot. So the big problem with this all boils down to that fucking dependency array on use effect, by the way. That's the, <laughs> that's the one that trips it. Everything else is fine. Like use state, all that is like fine. You can get, a, get, get by one, with it. This is what oh. I was yeah, people want like state something, memo something, like, you know, just build the, the React um, primitives into the language. So, yeah, I think this, this actually isn't a bad idea. And I think that was the whole deal with hooks. Whereas, what's the phrase that they use in the docs? A sufficiently advanced compiler might compile yes. down to these things at some point. And you're like, oh, wow, great job on pushing that responsibility onto the community react team well done <laughs> my, my joke my joke is like it's the react team's equivalent of a assume a frictionless spherical cow uh, from physics um, exactly a spherical a perfectly spherical cow <laughs> <laughs> like yeah it's it's it will exist <laughs> uh and it's just the five of them or six of six of them hacking on this and they have to make sure they don't break like facebook.com whenever they're working on these things Imagine it's taken this long to, for Concurrent to show up and Concurrent's nice, by the way, and we can talk about the server entering API. If yeah, let's like do it. Okay. Uh, so React right now is, a, a, yeah, that's the one, like that it shouldn't just be a lint rule, but uh, inside the, inside Facebook, the list, only, well, not everybody can see it, but it's a, in an internal uh, uh, Facebook wiki page, which is a list of potential F projects. You know how the React team has... Yeah, everything starts with F. Fiber, yeah. Whatever the hell, right? So there's a list of these projects that, oh, when we do this, uh, project F, uh, F, I forget what the one for uh, uh, 
animation is called, is it called Flare? No, Flare was the Dom one. Anyway, so there are a list of them and there are about 15, 20 of them. I'm pretty sure my NDA is done. So no one's order. Fuck it. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> there's a list of them. And if you look at them and you start assigning values in terms of work, oh, this is about six months of work. This is about uh, another six months of work. It strikes you that there's a roadmap for about five to 10 years, at least, if mm -hmm. not more in that. I mean, mm -hmm. look at how long it took to get like this. Of course, this was very more foundational. Those could probably happen a little quicker when it comes. Which means the React team is like sorely aware of what's missing in React right now. And to an extent that they can't talk about it because if they do, it becomes like a whole thing and like yeah. people start as a, don't really engage in that conversation. They do, I, I, and I, and I, I don't blame them for it. It's very hard to have this discourse without somebody coming in and saying, well, have you considered CSS transitions? And I'm like, yeah, yes, we have, we have considered CSS transitions a lot. Uh, so uh, so the, there are all these projects like a sufficiently advanced compiler that compiles down to hooks. There's uh, the animation API, there's... Uh, well, concurrent, et cetera, this whole data fetching thing has been going on for years and now it's finally starting to come to light, thankfully with collaboration with the Relay team and effectively all of WebCore when they built out facebook.com. And, and that is the length, that, that, uh, those are the time periods that Sebastian looks at and says, yeah, this is how we can like execute on this because it can be prioritized it has to be prioritized by either Facebook wanting it or making Facebook want it. So for example, the pitch was, hey, let's rewrite facebook.com, the desktop version, uh, because they haven't written, it's a film mishmash of like hundreds of React routes on one page. It should be a single React route that does this thing. Now that we have gotten management to agree to a rewrite, let us now attach it to the concurrent mode thing. And that was also part of it, which is in the older version, there was a lot of CPU fighting that used to happen between routes which is why the whole work for the scheduler started and took like two years to like fix. Effectively, they're doing cooperative multitasking VM in JavaScript, which sure, when you're a Facebook, I guess you got to like do these things. Uh, and out was of that, that all- oh, Was that ever offloaded to the browsers, by the way? Like, I know there was an effort to split it out of React. So I think, well, last I checked, they were talking to Chrome literally every week, uh, but I think it's also down to, uh, well, what Chrome wants to prioritize at the time. I think it is still going ahead. Again, it's the sort of work that takes years. So it's not going yeah. ahead nice and slowly. Uh, the, which is why if I, which is why it's architected inside React for the same reason as like it's attached to global and then read off the global, I think. It's also why you can't have two versions of React on the same page. There's a whole hooks thing, but also uh, if you have two versions of React, and they'll just start fighting with each other on the scheduler because the uh, the scheduler would yield to one, then to the other, then to the other one. And there would be no like central thing that controls what is on the scheduling pipeline. That's from the last, again, this conversation is at least two years old. Maybe they fixed that, but that's the yeah. goal with the scheduler. There has to be one scheduler for the thread that everybody comes onto and like right. tries to do stuff. Uh, will it, it, I think it will become a browser API. It's just a question of like when, like, yeah. I mean, the scheduler in React itself has undergone so much change over the last three years. Uh, so uh, maybe we should be glad that it isn't in the browser yet because like it's changed so much, but it's coming there. It's, I mean, the fact that they're releasing in November is a big deal. You said there's so many projects that you want to ship and the way to ship it in Facebook is to either convince them that this feature itself is worth it 
or you tie it together with something else like the Facebook. I think it's called FB5 rewrite. Oh, yeah, I think it's called FB5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was uh, good for them. Like it worked because the Facebook, Facebook.com is now more uh, performant. Like it actually works well and they don't have CPU fighting. The fact that Facebook itself is becoming slightly irrelevant in the world is a whole other conversation, but that's- Well, uh, you know, it's still used by billions. So uh, it's, it's, it improves the experience for those I, people. I'm only being snarky. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, you know, I, hopefully, I, hopefully, like, you, you know, there's other properties like Instagram and what you know, WhatsApp and what is, uh, which hopefully it, it will apply there. And then obviously like there, there's the VR efforts as well. All absolutely. using React, yeah. And that is the future. In fact- uh, server components also happened because they suddenly realized what they could do for how the deal with server components and server-side streaming rendering was never about an SSR story or even SEO. Facebook doesn't give a fuck about SEO, right? It was about finally they figured out how to use concurrent mode to have a better UX altogether. So, okay, I, I should probably just keep server components aside for right now and I'll just talk about the new streaming rendering API. <laughs> okay. Okay, so right now there's like about three styles of rendering. I say legacy, but legacy is such a dirty word. I don't mean it in the form that it's old. It's in fact- Traditional. Traditional. If it's like, sorry? Traditional. Uh, heritage, Facebook would say heritage. Not like, <laughs> it's a heritage style rendering, um, which is the, hey, you use something like a Rails or Spring or some, it, it could be Node as well. And you spit out a bunch of HTML and then you progressively enhance it with sprinkling JavaScript. Pick your metaphor. There are like three or four metaphors that you could use. Uh, uh, web components actually fall square into this where it just comes to life only on the browser and then like makes stuff interactive. Uh, then there's the whole client, fully client-side rendered one. So this is create React app or well, a number of like smaller players. Mm. Then there's server-side rendered. And server-side rendered is actually like it's not just Next.js, it's also your Gatsby. I feel like pretty much every uh, React framework now has some kind of server-side rendering story. Okay, so the next slide goes into what types of server-side rendering things happen. Okay. There are a lot of subdivisions within here, right? Like uh, Gatsby exactly. is out here trying to reinvent like DSR or DPR or something like that, which is like I, deferred... I deferred static rendering. Yeah, DS, DSG, deferred static generation. Yeah. That's the one. Yes, uh, and my, my former employer Netlify also, you know, DPR, and it's all these, it's all like variations of this stuff. With like, it, it, it's know. a question of where you put the cash, is what it is. Like they're all uh, three-letter. It's a TLA, a three-letter acronym to decide where you put the caching in the. Yeah, so there's the whole Jamstack, and that's like the whole Netlify story, but also Cloudflare pages, or even GitHub pages. There's no real runtime server rendering. You just generate a bunch of static assets and you chuck it, and uh, it just works. Then there's fully dynamic, which would be Next.js without any caching, right? Like every yep. request gets server-side rendered. Then like, like a bundle loads on top of it and um, like suddenly makes it alive. Like, like it hydrates it. And then it, after that, it's effectively a fully client-side rendered application. Then there's, okay, so I just said ISR, but like you said, there are like three or four after this as well. There's this whole DSG yeah, thing. Not, not important, not important. Yeah. Okay, so... The new streaming API is actually fundamentally new because I don't know if people even know this, but React already has a streaming rendering API. It's called uh, render to node stream, I think. Yep. I think that's the API for it. And the reason that that exists is so that uh, only for a performance thing on the server where otherwise synchronous renders would block like other requests and it would make like 
if for a server that was very uh, uh, there was heavily trafficked it would become like really slow so at least with the streaming api yeah that's the one render to node stream at least with this one it wouldn't clash and you could interleave requests when they're happening but it didn't solve like anything else like nothing is you couldn't actually do anything asynchronous on it which is kind of uh, that fucking sucks because like it looks like it's an asynchronous api but you can't do anything asynchronous through it it's the only thing that you okay so render to readable stream is cool because uh, i can even uh, if you go to the very last slide last but one slide you know what this is what the very first link open it up like it says reactlazy.coolcomputerclub <laughs> so this is the demo that they have that exists with this new api this is what they link to so if you re refresh it a couple of times and I'll show you something that happens here. So you see the little spinner that shows up there and then the content loads. Yep. So, uh, you know what, maybe I can share my screen because I want to show like a couple of things. Uh, wait, wait. Yeah. I'll fill in some context. Like, uh, I knew that the render to node stream API was not good enough basically because everyone who was doing SSR was doing like a double pass render just to get the data in. Um, and I know it's a very big sticking point for Airbnb so much that they were almost like forking React or something like that to, <laughs> to do this. They invented a caching API. They did like a whole bunch of things. Okay, so if you have a look here, you'll see that there's a little bit of spinner and then the content comes in. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the actual HTML. So let's just go to prettier and uh, just prettify this so that we can see the content. And I'll show you something that's very like fundamental. That's the playground, playground. Paste, pick HTML. All right, so you look at this HTML, it's rendering, rendering. By the way, this uh, these are special comments that mark suspense boundaries. It's very cool. Ooh. If you come down here, you'll see a div, which is the spinner. So this is the spinner that you see uh, when you refresh the page. So this is that spinner. And then the rest of, uh, like, then like the, like the bits that are below that close and the HTML closes. But content still starts stream is streaming in at that point. So like this is the actual like divs that are coming in with the content, and then a script tag gets injected that says, "Hey, this thing that just came in, shove it into where the spinner was." This template. Wow, I that tag is so small. I would I would have imagined it was much bigger. It's not. So by the way, at this point, React has not loaded. This ah, is happening yeah. without React. This is just a little DOM, much like Swelt. Haha. <laughs> Uh, it's just a little operation that does it. So you, you, you get this content and, uh, so, so that's the first feature, which is that suspense a not only works out of the box, but fallbacks and replacing of fallbacks with actual content also happen. Um, I want to pull this outside of this main window to show you something else. Um, so you'll see the content load in, but keep an eye on the loading spinner. Okay. Just to like prove a point. So the content loads in. Oh man, oh, is it cached? Is that why? Uh, the content loads in, but the spinner is still going on. That's because there's an artificial delay for the React bundle to show uh, to show up. That's sure. the point of this demo, which is to show that it can do async. Now you can imagine that it's not just one part of the page. There could be multiple suspense boundaries here, some with something heavy, something with something asynchronous, and they're potentially streaming in effectively in parallel in the like after the HTML tag closes. And they load nicely. The, the other cool feature, which is a feature every framework should steal, is if you do a second refresh, and here I think if the if you do a second refresh, and at this point the React bundle, the JavaScript bundle is cached. Mm. So it loads before the React, the server content finishes streaming. 
So at that point, the React says, fuck you, I don't care about the streaming bit anymore. I'm taking over. It's now a client-side app, like just automatically out of the box. Because now that would be faster. So it basically raises the client and server-side bundle. So Suspense working out of the box itself is like a big deal. First, so people will start using it like with React.lazy, but then with data fetching and a bunch of like styling solutions, which they're also working on. Uh, but this is the new server rendering API. The reason I was talking about this, oh, I, have to, I keep losing context about these things. Yeah, I should just uh, stop sharing, I guess. Um, the absolute best feature of this, of course, is the reason why is something that comes out of Facebook, which is it works with existing applications and you can incrementally add it. So the first thing you will do is you will take your render to string, that one line somewhere in your code base which says render to string, and you'll replace it with render to notable, uh, readable string. And it'll just work. I mean, Whether by the way, 99% of React users have never used render to string, right? That's what Next.js is for. <laughs> and this, oh, that's the, that's, oh my God, that's part of a whole other conversation, right? Next.js like, is like, render to string as a service. <laughs> it's basically rendered. And it means that the moment you update Next.js, your version of Next.js will work out of the box. Yes, which is a good, and which, which is good, right? Because uh, people won't even know and they will just benefit. But it's it's a little bit bad, okay? And and this is a little bit of my criticism, which is that you're blessing a, a meta framework at the expense of all the others, right? Like which, admittedly, have not been as as, as successful. But uh, basically, React and Chrome picked a winner, and it was next year. I've been thinking about this so much. Oh, okay, let's get into the meta conversation now. Okay, yeah, so right. the, the standard disclaimers. I think Guillermo is a mensch. I think the people who work there are Same. incredible. There are some people I'm close to. And I'm so happy for them. I know people on the Chrome team who work with these folks. I love them as well. Nicole, for me, is a, is a hero. Uh, and of course, the React team are all my buddies. I love them. Okay, that being said, <laughs> the React team is six people and they don't have the time to build the meta framework. And they, <laughs> Guillermo, uh, the one thing he's incredible at is he's great at building relationships. He's just amazing at that. Like he, uh, and as in a very genuine way, like this, there's nothing like ulterior about it. Next.js is open source and runs on any node runtime and it's designed to do so. There's nothing about it that's become special on Vercel. Because of that, the React team felt feel like, okay, fine, we can have a primitive and meta frameworks will solve it. And, oh, let's just make sure it works with Next.js because so many other people. So we'll just reach out to them and say, hey, this new API is showing up. Uh, this is not just with Next.js. A similar thing is with like React testing library when the new ACT API showed up, right? Yep. I made the PRs to React testing library. I was like, what you should do is have every function in React testing library be wrapped in ACT. So nobody really has to like use the API by hand. I just, it's now it's the deep and it's a very good testing framework. Yeah. Uh, the Chrome team, and this is my, I'm not saying this like it's a bad thing. I think they did the right thing. The Chrome team realized that if they provide performance enhancements to Next.js directly, they can have so much impact on the internet because so much of the React world is running on Next.js. So fixing how the images are loaded in Next.js suddenly makes the internet faster. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, that's what we should do also like with accessibility, just ship acts in uh, all the acts rules in development mode, either in like React DOM directly or at least in Next.js. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Svelte does that. Yeah. Does Svelte ship the axe rules? Yeah. Oh, that's they're enabled by default, and your your app won't compile. Uh, actually, I think it will warn. It won't. It won't fail, but it will warn. Okay, so you should be making 
the swelled folk should be making way more noise about that that is such an incredible draw for accessibility the the thing is like uh if you encourage if you think that your your problems are solved by x then you're taking a very sort of paint by numbers approach to accessibility right which is actually kind of against the spirits of of uh, what people really want which is um real audits with like tabbed through everything like the stuff that machines can catch is so little i agree the whole point of axe rules is to make sure that all the low hanging fruit is done by yeah. default I yeah we can, yeah it's like typescript like i guess which is a typescript doesn't solve all your bugs but the stupid undefined is not a function <laughs> once it does right yeah exactly uh, i mean make sure that your images have all tags just by default like we we can have stronger conversations about tab order once you make sure all your images have all tags <laughs> Uh, any, okay. Anyway, so so yeah. Uh, so first of all, yeah, I, I agree with you on the on this Chrome, and um, I think this is open source winning, right? Like, uh, it, there's a, there's a Commons. Vercel built the most successful React framework. They they went and they invested really hard at it. They had the right abstraction level, you know, not too much, not too little, just the right one. Uh, and now everyone is finding them as like the shelling point, which is a, a word I, I'm coming to use a, a lot uh, because you know that is the most impact that you that you reach. Uh, so no hate on any of them it's just like it happens that uh, venture back startup benefits from all of this <laughs> Yo, platform can you imagine how hard it makes my job we don't run node on cloudflare workers which means nextjs doesn't run on it it's annoying as shit oh is there any attempt to to make it run so we there are a couple of ways where we can get it to work but it like it's a lot of polyfill and uh we'll get there like i expect it to be fixed within the next 3 to 6 months but out of the box it doesn't run on it and for me in my head it doesn't it's not even about cloudflare workers i'm like oh shit that's what makes bezos like even richer because everyone has if you want to use node you're using aws or lambda and that just means more folks are using aws i'm just like okay i guess sure and i and i know you work there as well but it's just very annoying to me where i'm like shit if only what's even more interesting is that node is now moving to implementing web standard apis inside of it so they already have the streams implementations they will have fetch fetch will be a node api like it will be implemented based on standards which means request response objects and once that happens and people if people build frameworks on that then you can say that it will run on cloudflare workers because the cloudflare workers api is also like a standards based thing so it's an interesting shift of like what's happening in the in the runtime world also conveniently the person who implemented the web streams implementation at node just started at cloudflare like last month like oh, that's congrats. james snell yeah oh james snell okay yeah i recognize yeah, him i great guy by the way uh, uh very uh, i just love these people who have like clarity of thought when they talk james is one of them we're we're kind of moving into the other topic Sorry. of like javascript in 2021 right like, so first of all i have a meta question of how do you keep informed of all this stuff like i had i had no idea before you told me about this node stuff how do you know i i have an internet information junkie problem i replaced the weed smoking habit with a twitter habit is what it is but there, you're not on like some magic mailing list that like tells you all this stuff okay <laughs> I, i i like reading the tea leaves is what it is like i keep trying <laughs> to find out what's going on i have a problem it's a problem cuz i i I, I feel like i i'm re- i'm relatively plugged in but you're like you're way more plugged in than me <laughs> and then this development with node adopting web standard apis um is this a response to deno i don't know if it's a response to deno because i know michael rogers wrote about this like years ago that we made a mistake by trying to polyfill 
node APIs and browser code with like modules and stuff, right? Like that's what the whole browserify during those days when we started actually using the same module system and the word isomorphic came up. What ended up happening was node APIs were polyfilled in webland. But what should have happened is we should have gone yes, the, other the other way. way. Yeah. Browser and it would have kept like bundles. This bundle size problem would have been a way smaller pro problem right now, just because of that. So I know that the folks at Node have been thinking about it for a while. Maybe Deno finally pushed them to do it, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's like that reductive. I don't think it's just it's just Deno. It's very much a this is the right time to do it, and we actually can do it now. So let's like flesh it out and do it the right way. Uh, and it's hard to do it in, in in Node, right? It's not just that you can just implement this thing because. Like what does making an HTTP server mean now? Like, because the request response objects are slightly different in shape. So you have to make sure that you don't break existing code. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, like we're just implementing the APIs. That being said, having fetch inside node proper is going to be great, I think, like, excellent. Yeah, yeah, no more uh, node fetch. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, my other thoughts on, on uh, I've been I've been doing this talk called the third age of JavaScript, right? Which is a blog post that I wrote last year. That, Good one, yeah. Um, honestly, I feel quite a bit of imposter syndrome around it because all I did was name a thing and like, it was already happening. It was, you already saw, like, I think basically when, when COVID hit, uh, a lot of people were just like, I have a lot of time on my hands. I'm going to make new projects or something. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so I just, I named it and I, I, I just called it a few trends. So the, the trends I, I, I'm talking about are the rise of ES modules first, you know, in, in development and in production, uh, concurrently the death of IE 11. Which I'm also okay, tracking. Those you nailed. Yes, those are those have both come to fruition. I, but, uh, which, by the way, I think the U.S. government will have to drop IE11 uh, sometime in the next like six months or so because uh, the the use the usage levels have plummeted. Three point six percent of all visits to the U.S. government website in November 2020 was IE11, and now that has dropped to one point six. Um, oh, it's accelerating. The drop is actually accelerating now. That's. Uh, I don't know if it's accelerating or accelerating, but it's under the 2% mark that the US government sets for itself. They have an opportunity to essentially say, like, once it's stable, you know, there's no chance that it'll ever go back up again. Uh, they can just deprecate IE11 for all government websites, and then that, that will be the signal for all enterprises. And that's, that's it. Exactly. That's Angie. Yeah. So, um, and then the second. Sorry. Oh, I, I was going to move on to the second bit, but what was your comment? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can move on. I was just saying that this happened, like, wh while I was working in JP Morgan over the last year, they did the same shift where they're like, yeah, we are now a Chrome company. Literally, none of our clients are asking for this anymore. <laughs> it, it was just in rules somewhere, oh, we need to target IE11. Some people looked at it and said, okay, fine. We're we what happened is people are spending money on something that wasn't giving them the returns. And that's when a bank is like, yeah, we don't need to do this anymore. Exactly. Like you, you can deprecate free support, right? And and just make just charge for IE11 support. Start spreading it out among all the other users who are bearing the cost of development and, and maintenance. The other one was collapsing layers, which is the death of Unix philosophy. Like we used to have one tool does one thing, but now we want to combine everything. So uh, Deno and Rome both have ambitions of like linter, formatter, test runner, all that into a single binary because the idea of what we want out of our default runtime has changed uh, from, a, from a very minimalist thing. And I, I, always, I always make the comparison to what word processors used to be like. So are you aware of uh, Steven Sanofsky? He has a blog post, which is amazing about what a job of a platform should be. And he talks about like in the 1980s, word processors used to only let you type words. And if you wanted... Uh, horizontal layout, if you wanted word counts, if you wanted footnotes, these are all plugins that you buy and install separately. 
right? Okay. So, but as we evolve, as we just use all these things, we realize that these are just like the same tool that we want out of a word processor. So then they absorb all these features instead of plugins, they're just part of the platform now. They're, they're now the new table stakes. So I make that analogy to the runtimes that we're doing, right? Like no used to be this like much more minimal thing. And, and uh, but now we are expecting more and more out of our default setup with of all these tools. Um, it's also very wasteful because when each of these tools don't know each other, they're all uh, parsing their own ESTs, running, running their own code. And then, yeah. That's the whole Rome uh, proposition right there. Yeah. Any, any tool that collapses layers will yeah. be able to make this like ES build um, collapse like a standard webpack would do like five or six AST runs. Yes, build collapse it to two to three. That's a source of its speed as well. One of my favorite facts about ES build is that it is faster to minify the code than to not minify the code when you run ES build. And the Why? reason for that is because when you when it tries to do the full AST, keep comment nodes, everything else, it has to do a lot more bookkeeping. But the moment it just ditches all those things, because yeah. ESBuild doesn't do like full minification, like something like a Turser, but it does do like a smaller symbol substitution, white space, uh, uh, removes all white spaces, and it does like some uh, dead code uh, elimination. Uh, and it's a lot more work to keep the bookkeeping for everything and all the white space nodes than to not do it. So ESBuild is actually faster when you have minification turned on. Love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you have opinions on ES build versus SWC? Okay, so I like ES build uh, because I was very strongly looking for something a lot more opinionated. I've noticed that the reason that code bases rot usually boil down to the cute decisions that you make like in the very <laughs> beginning of the project. You can do anything. I mean, whichever dumbass came up with the idea of Babel plugin macros has like ruined a lot of lives. It was me, I came up with that. Idea. <laughs> uh, but that is it. Like then you're like so. The thing that ESBuild does is very. <laughs> ESBuild is like its creator Evan Wallace, which is that it's it's one of a kind. Like it, he's not really interested so much in having community uh, uh, PRs or like having suggestions on how it should be built. He has a very strong vision of what it should be like, which is why there are no AST level plugins and all that jazz. And because of that, because of like you said, because he's collapsed the layers and collapse the size of the development team to just himself he has like such a clear vision on what it should be so it is it would be great for i want to say 95% of projects that fall under the things he has designed it for okay uh, and that's a lot of applications that's a shit ton of applications that's like everything but you're hosed if you need anything uh, unique I'll give you one that's like a very good use case that ESBuild will never use. Do you know what um, uh, Relay has this idea of persisted queries? Yep. You know what persisted queries are? Okay, so like for whoever's hearing who doesn't know it, right? Like you can write a query inside JavaScript and when it compiles it out, it takes out the query and replaces it just with an identifier, like, like a little eight character identifier. And it hosts that query instead of like on the server side. And it says, oh, that eight, eight character query, you can just hit it as a rest endpoint now. So you can write the code internally in JavaScript where it belongs, but it doesn't add like to your bundle or whatever it is. So ESBuild will never support this, which means if you want to do really optimizations on your React code base, you won't be able to do it. Or you have to like add on to ESBuild, which you could do, I guess, like you can still use Babel with mm. ESBuild. Uh, SWC is meant to be a platform. 
and which is why Next.js will use it because Next.js is the meta framework, not just for React, but also for like some programming opinions, extracting get server props, get static props, which won't even be that this thing after server components comes into play, but a number of things. Like there will be people who always want to write the emotion macro now is like fairly uh, popular that they will want to use it. So I assume they will implement it in uh, in Rust. I know, do you know what bun is by the way? Do you know Think who Jared it? Sumner is? Do you know, ja are you following Jared Sumner, Sumner Summers? Sumner? No, no. Okay, so he is re-implementing ES build, but in a language called Zig. It's another systems programming language. And he's, his claim is that it's about three times faster than ES build right now which is already some 200 times faster than Babel or whatever it is. So just our webpack. So it's a language you said? It, no. So uh, the language is called Ziglang, Z-I-G, but the thing he's building is called Bun, uh, B-U-N. He hasn't uh, shared it uh, in public yet. I think he's actually planning on sharing it like next week. Like I think it's that imminent. He's been sharing numbers right now. Yeah, that's the guy, Jared Sumner. Uh, I love, I should have followed him like a while ago. Great, great feed, uh, excellent content. And like, he's, he, he's thinking that he's going to like implement, he might actually implement an AST level uh, uh, plugin macro API, possibly just implement the emotion one. I think he was just, yeah, see, oh, that's like literally the tweet right under the main one right there where he's like, hey, what if we actually just did this in uh, Oh, he's right. He's, he's right with you. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just talking about it, like right there. So, uh, so SWC versus ES build, I don't think is the conversation. I think ES build will have a rise. A bunch of people will use it. The nice thing, the best feature about ES build is because there aren't any like cute decisions, you will be able to move away from it to whatever succeeds it. Like there, there's nothing custom in it. I, I believe that was Evan's original idea that ES build was a proof of existence that they, there's a better way. And then he stuck to it for way longer than I thought he would. <laughs> People are using it in production and everything now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Veet, but the best and... thing about the design is that it's replaceable, that it's just, uh, that it- that it Oh, that's replaceable. wonderful. Uh, Isn't that amazing when people design their, their stuff that, you know, it doesn't- Kind of pressure that he would have had <laughs> the best, Thank goodness it was the successful CTO of Figma with money in the bank who's implementing this and didn't have anyone to impress. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll put a macro API and uh, what else do you want? Like, what else? No, he doesn't. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. But he just needs to please himself and no one else, right? If you don't like he it, he just, just needs to please himself. This is during his downtime from like Figma that he's working on. This so my, my secret theory is that he's doing this as, an, as a Figma ad. Like, you know, if he, if the CTO of Figma does this for fun, Imagine what it's like to work inside of Figma, you know, like the kind of thing. I've heard it's pretty great though. Okay. So <laughs> I've heard it's pretty great working inside Figma too. Well, that code is like, is really cool. Did you actually point out that uh, Canva is like six times bigger than Figma now? Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about that? <laughs> oh man, that's, I didn't realize until you pointed it out. What a great success story. Incredible. Like, Imagine uh, all the geniuses working at Figma and go looking at Canva and like, Yo, like I, <laughs> I have like a thousand times your features and you're six times my size as a business. Uh, well, I hope every one of those engineers understands the value of sales and like reaching out to your actual customers because they it's like, I don't think it's just sales. It's more like uh, they're always going to be more non, like this is a, a category of software I call let non-X do X, right? Let non-designers do design. Whereas Figma is clearly for designers doing design. Um, and there's always going to be like a two, three orders of magnitude more non-Xs 
who just want to do basic shit. <laughs> oh man, I hope Webflow has a multi-billion dollar buyout then at some point. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's clearly something that they, w- the problem with Webflow is that they are they're too close to code, right? You have to learn CSS, like the box model. That's to, true. Yeah, I mean, they do say they're no code, but really they're a visual. If you don't know CSS when using Webflow, you're you're screwed. Like, <laughs> right, that's right. It's a they have. They have the best grid editor on the market, though. I, I have to say that. Like, the, yeah, I mean, the UI is just amazing, right? It's just like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, there's a reason why like the Wixes and the Squarespaces are actually worth more than than Webflow, and it's not just because they were around earlier. Like, mm. um, they they're just easier to use for non-technical people. That's a good point. That's a very good. Point. <laughs> wait, so we were talking about. Wait, why did we even start talking about this? What did you want to talk about? I forget. Uh, we were talking about like thirty-three uh, JavaScripts. Um, so I think we kind of like dealt with those those uh, those topics. Were there, was there anything else that you want to talk about in JavaScript land? I don't know if you have noticed, but I've kind of actually stopped engaging in the JavaScript discourse on Twitter specifically, which actually hurts me like a little bit because that's where all my JavaScript friends are. And that's kind of like, I've seen it over the, I've seen JavaScript Twitter now for the last 11 years, I would think 10, 11 years that I've seen it. And I used to like participate very heavily. And back to the thing that you, uh, uh, that we were just discussing about the conversations that happened about like SPA versus MPA and about like the whole notion blow up about how they made the okay. nine MP thing into like 800 KB. Yep. Uh, the easiest kind of discourse to have is to have like one absolutist opinion uh, that I saw a number of people in like those threads and the surrounding threads have, which is, uh, well, this is bad or this is good. And uh, that's that's all I got to say about it. Now give me like 40 likes on this uh, reply in this thread. Uh, whereas like there's real opportunity here to understand how and yeah, that's the one, that's the one. Good tweet, by the way. Clearly, it got like attention. Uh, no, and by the way, I phrased it very neutrally. I actually was pretty careful because I knew that it's going to attract some buzz. I, I, I had no idea it was going to be this much, but no, no, no. But like you point, I'm so interested in talking about. Uh, so this is what I was talking to you about, which is like mm-hmm. it's not just about a website at one point of time. It's about the system that generates these kinds of like artifacts. Uh, uh, so for example, wait, what did, what did they say they are? They're 847 KB right now. <laughs> they are not 847 KB today. They were 847 KB when you, uh, when you t- uh, tweeted this uh, on the 11th. They're not 847 KB now. They might be 852 or they might be 841. Are you about to check? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. It doesn't matter. The, the exact number doesn't matter. I'm going to give you another example, which also came up, which is Netflix. Remember, they ripped out React and they said they have React back on Netflix. Are you, are you serious on that? Wait, did they have like both Netflix? They have both React and jQuery. Isn't yes, 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 yes. <laughs> they have both jQuery and React on that page right now. I'm just, But like for me, it's interesting that which is like, I think the most insightful tweet in this was where you pointed out that nobody noticed this until they told it to us. Nobody saw it, it bothered, yeah, that's the one. Like nobody bothered about it. It was still making them money. They were happy about it and they wanted to share their process. And we need more of them. We need more people to be like sharing the process because if we react very badly to these things, then fewer people will want to like actually share the numbers and we won't 
learn from the industry. But I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It does mean that you can make a multi-billion dollar company with a marketing site that's 9 MB of JavaScript. And I think, I think people who have very strong opinions about how much JavaScript should be on a page should take a step back and wonder, how do you make it so? Like, how do you, from the very beginning of, like, running your company, how do you make it so that it doesn't uh, go up beyond that? Also, what opportunities are you abandoning by focusing on making sure your marketing page uh, has like 100 KB of JavaScript instead of like 9 MB? Yeah, are you, are you sacrificing like, shipping velocity, right? You are sh somewhere. You are, you are spending effort on, the, on on it somewhere. And I'm not just so very clear because somebody will look at it and say, fuck you, are you suggesting that we all put MBs of JavaScript on marketing? So that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that resources, <laughs> fuck that word, but resources at these companies are limited and they're they are prioritized and sequenced. And you should ask yourself in what order you want to do it and who you're trying to please. Are you trying to please your customers and your users or the peanut gallery on Twitter? I think that's something that like, I, it's why I don't engage so much anymore because it's so hard to communicate nuance and somebody will come in with a, well, fuck you, you work for Facebook. You used to work for Facebook. What would you know? I'm like, you got me. I, that, that, that kind of ends the conversation that, right? Like, I'm sorry, I contributed to babies being burnt alive or whatever it is, like, is what it is. Um, yeah, it's a nuance debate. Like, uh... Because I, they also did some, like Notion clearly did some stupid stuff here, right? Like it, it, they could have spent a day. Uh, so do you know why it was 9.9 .9 megabytes? If I understand, it was the whole Notion app that was being done. It was the whole app. Yeah, they were shipping the whole app. There was actually someone from Notion uh, answering me, answering here. Uh, here, yeah, this, guy's, this guy works at Notion. Uh, before oh, the marketing yeah. site was another route in our, at the time, 9.1 MB main app. We will load the whole app just to show the sign up button. <laughs> So for what it's worth, <laughs> the Facebook sign-up page does start prefetching actual Facebook code so that once you log in, it loads instantaneously. <laughs> so there's a reason to do it. It's just that it shouldn't be 9 MB, of course. That's a bit much. <laughs> clearly the wrong thing. So yeah, they could have like took a day every every six months or something, like perf day, you know, and then and then do that. So that's why I'm I'm hesitant at giving them a pass for like, okay. So what? You're a multi-billion-dollar company. This is embarrassing. This is just unprofessional. Um, so yes, but at the same time, the people who are upset uh, about other people's site on Twitter, uh, and then they they move on to the next source of outrage the next day, like they're also very ineffective. So <laughs> exactly, and yeah. it's hard to have a conversation with them. And God bless you. I noticed that you try so hard to stay. Uh, not not emotionally detached, I guess, but that you're you're just staying above the water and that you're not actually picking a fight or like fueling it on. But there are people who are getting in there to like get their shots and to say, ha ha, I've said the tweet against a multi-billion dollar company. I'm better than them. Ha ha. No, like it's so sad. You know, like the dev Twitter is a, is a small microcosm of the overall universe. And in fact, it's often the least powerful people. Um, and the most powerful people have no, have don't care. They don't care what you think. They they just they're looking at their OKRs, and if they met if they meet it, then they get promoted. They have more money, and you're you're still complaining about your your performance issues. Yeah, your... it sucks that it's this way because I don't know if I'm romanticizing the past. Actually, I probably am. Yeah, that's just it. It feels like oh, when when I was younger, things were like way better, and the music was better. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like 
clearly all the best music was made between the ages of like 13 to 16 when i was <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly the best music in the world happened then so maybe that's like my memory of twitter but to be honest in the last 10 years 10 years ago a lot of things about javascript kind of sucked it definitely wasn't as diverse thankfully it's a lot more diverse right now we have people from way more walks of life and uh, uh, this obsession with computer science degrees appears to be dying down which is just great absolutely great news because they whenever they talk about computer science degrees nobody actually is like okay what did you learn in your computer science degree that's like useful here there are some things that are if you are building the scheduler and scheduler and fiber for react yes uh but really the people that i've seen do really well as web developers are the folks who read a lot of comic books and learned design because they know how to lay out stuff and how to tell a story and they like know how to like translate that onto the onto site so i've seen like and designers who spend like a little time to learn how to do like just enough stuff to be dangerous they're like incredible hell uh adam morse is now doing a generate whatever components.ai is it's this yeah uh, what is that <laughs> i like he it has a very strong pitch and it's he's taking his time to execute on it and i love it which is you should be able to search through a problem space to find what your ui should look like it shouldn't arise from your brain you should be able to turn knobs and adjust things on your system and turning knobs is not just about a hey let me look at this one button and change the color of it you should be able to do it as a whole so right now they're in this phase where they're exploring uh, generative technologies like how do you generate the entire uh, instead of just doing math.random how do you generate 40 palettes and then like just present them to the user one by one based on that so uh he's doing a bunch of that right now and he's working with some very smart people i think uh murmurs i think, uh, huh i think there's a guy called murmurs i think that's adam morris yes murmurs is adam oh okay oh, oh i don't uh, know but also nat is working uh, nat alison is tesseralis tesseralis i think is working oh. with them now uh uh dean black is working with like a number of like very interesting people and i'm very they are taking their time with it which is very strange it's not as startupy as i would have like uh, yeah. expected but oh yeah this is the their syntax uh, what syntax the hell? theme generation <laughs> i think you can literally click a button and it will do uh, yes. oh great 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 ah, okay yeah oh yeah, so it generates like a whole yeah. num- these are all generated in your browser i think i don't think this is like from a database somewhere yeah why would it need to be uh so they're working through this they're trying to get the fundamentals for a science that they're effectively like inventing right now i mean it exists for art and stuff and they're just well not even just art uh but they're trying to figure out how to productionize it for ui and i think it's very exciting and it's very distinct and unique and i'm very i'm keeping my eye on this all the time i love it i uh, yeah well that's fascinating man mm-hmm. um Okay. So <laughs> like I did a bunch of talking in your direction for a while. No, no. Uh you know we talked about uh, Twitter like yeah I I don't know I I feel I feel hot and cold with my Twitter stuff. Uh I started out tweeting, you know, a lot of react stuff and that's how I I guess I I initially got traction and then I did career stuff and now I I guess I'm just I I I don't have a particular theme. I I'm feeling a bit directionless as well. But I also think there's like a an a natural sweet spot for Twitter where basically Uh, this is what i tell people you want so you want enough followers so that 
you're not a nobody. You, you have instant social proof, but you don't want too many that you get all the idiots coming in your in your mentions, right? That's so, okay. uh, yeah, uh, well, I don't think I have too many idiots. Everybody who follows me is very beautiful and smart and intelligent. <laughs> this, is this in the future, uh, but I definitely. That's why I have an alt now, and I do my whining and ranty stuff there because it's very hard. I've not. I can only count on my friends to assume the nuance that I'm trying to communicate. Like and good intent. That's and good important. intent, just generally good intent. Oh my like, god! Oh, like Sunil isn't so much of a dumbass. He doesn't hate. Uh, uh, wait, what? what are, uh, oh, he doesn't actually want nine MB of JavaScript on the page. Surely, <laughs> surely. Um, yes, it's it's so helpful. Um, yeah, I mean that that's 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 about what I what I view for Twitter. I mean, I, I guess I I might move into like founder slash VC Twitter eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not I'm not currently on the founder path, but I, I I always keep my eye on it. I don't know what your thoughts are on like the whole like okay you know maybe 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 this is a worthwhile topic. Like there's a lot of JavaScript ecosystem people who are you know our friends and now are startup founders, right? Like. Which is would, interesting. Okay, so don't take it as advice. It isn't really advice, but let me tell you what I fear. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, let me put it this way. The people that I like in JavaScript Twitter that I still follow for years, even the ones who talk a lot, talk less, or it's that fucking Picasso quote that I love. When art critics get together, they discuss uh, uh, form and function and philosophy of art. But when artists get together, they discuss where to buy cheap turpentine. Always be a turpentine person, I think. Like, uh, like never lose sight of like reality. There will always be things to discuss that are like meta things, which is what we're talking about right now, I think. But the true, uh, it feels, it has always felt this way to me, which is that true progress in our industry and other industries are the people who are putting actual skin in the game and actually working on it. This is, this is how I think about crypto Twitter also, by the way. I know a bunch of engineers who are working on crypto stuff, but refuse to talk about it on Twitter because it's just so toxic there. And they're working on actually interesting use cases with a technology, an immutable database that's spread across the world. And you're telling me you can't think of like good use cases. There are people who have talked about it. That's that's not just an NFT or let's uh, get drugs delivered to our house, which by the way, good use cases, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I think the same thing of like founder Twitter, there are, Good founders who actually, like the, for example, one founder that I've been following a lot lately because I just admire the story so much is Toby Lutke from uh, Shopify. Uh, he's a hacker. He's he did the video that expl- that uh, demonstrated the hydrogen oxygen yep. reactor. Oh, what do you think? About, oh, what do you think about that? <laughs> I think I, I, what, what do I think about server components? Game changer. Everybody should steal it. Well, uh, no, you I, mean hydrogen oxygen uh, is a server components uh, implementation. It is, uh, it's there like hydrogen is basically React server components uh, and oxygen is their runtime slash network there. It's like their Vercel clone, right? Uh, well, it's actually closer to workers, which sucked because they're already our customers at Cloudflare. I'm like, why don't they use? So their deal is that they want it running right next to their databases. Hmm. And we don't run people's databases on the edge yet. <laughs> Maybe we will, I don't know, that could change. Well, isn't that uh, uh, durable objects is kind of databases on the edge well it's a data store on the edge but it's it's, it's not, not a database we are not running sql js on it yet let's just never say these things and i suck at keeping secrets 
the truth is that like clearly people are talking about things internally or oh, what happens when we can actually literally have a SQL database that's uses durable objects as a backing. Like that was one of I mean, fly.io already has some version of this, right? So, right. Uh, but uh, Shopify right now is just exploring this because it's not just about like running a database. It's also, you don't want to expose your database to the internet and have serverless workers like hitting it, even though that's planet scales data's plan, I think, which is they're developing MySQL, but for the serverless world. So you should be able to have like thousands of connections open and it shouldn't bring it down. Uh, uh, another great company to keep an eye at them and Superbase. Superbase just have like good, good people in general. I spoke to a bunch of them. They donated during the India fundraiser that I was doing and I spoke to a couple of them. Great, great team. And nice UI. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But yeah, it, so it's basically React server components that have access to Shopify APIs. Yeah. So uh, that and it's very strange for a company like them to go full in on uh, basically alpha technology. It's not even beta yet. Like the implementation is not finished. It's not coming out with React 18. It'll be a it'll be an 18 doc text release, but it's not coming out in November. Uh, and to see Shopify suddenly like buy into it, it's the right choice. It feels like the technology is right. It's not something novel and people will be using it more and more. I think Solid already has some kind of version of uh, server components because Ryan just like steals ideas wholesale. And I love that uh, attitude. It's great. Him. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what do I think about it? Uh, great call. What a, what a, what a way to like, make sure that you're a first adopter of something that I think is a sure thing uh, remains to be seen. So there's a thesis that I'm drafting, which I'm not really sure about yet, but uh, this might be useful for you because I, I spoke about this with uh, Rita and with James Allworth. Right, right. Out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the original thesis was Cloudflare specific, which is, how is Cloudflare taking on AWS? It's Cloudflare is was the originally just a CDN layer, free CDN, whatever, um, and uh, obviously the the best by by any measure. Um, but it's eating AWS from the outside in. You first do the CDN, then you do the workers, then you do the durable objects. And you you, you kind of like reinvent every primitive from the first principles concept of like everything is distributed. It's just a pretty amazing to watch, right? Like that's that's kind of what uh, what Cloudflare is like. How do you take on a giant behemoth? Like you do the one thing that they cannot do, which is you start from like all this all this like distributed yeah. stuff first. Um, and and then I start thinking about things like Shopify doing uh, hydrogen oxygen. I uh, start thinking about uh, here here are other here are other interesting movements that I'm I'm tracking, right? Um, Shopify, uh, sorry, Gatsby making serverless functions and Gatsby making its own CDN. Um, mm-hmm. So this is this is how I blog, by the way. I have Ooh, I have all these. I get insight into the Sean system. Okay, these are all my blog post ideas. That's it. <laughs> that's good. That's pretty good. Um, actually, I want to kind of make my blog my podcast into something like okay, uh, basically mouth blog. Like you have a you have an idea that you're shaping and you want to blog it, but you don't have time to blog. Let's just talk it up. You know, that's kind of it. That's um, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. So, so uh, Netlify and Gatsby doing deferred generation. So these are all examples of like, uh, like a trilemma of like, there's rendering framework, uh, which is one group of constituencies. There's the cloud infra people. There's another group. So this is like Netlify versus Cell Cloudflare. Uh, rendering framework is like uh, Next.js, but also Gatsby and uh, React and, and, and those guys. And then the CMS, which is like all the, like a different crew that are like 
has is completely above the fray of all this fighting and fighting. But they always uh, start competing with each other, right? Um, like you're going to my turf, uh, this, my turf going to your turf, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and and here's here's another one uh, which I'm also oh this is Cloudflare going inside in. Um, so I recently found out that MongoDB does off. Do they do auth now? Oh, they sure. do auth. <laughs> What? Okay. Yeah, I, I, also does auth, by the way. Who? And that's like a, the feature that they sell. Like it's who? part of the API that you can. Oh, Superbase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they uh, they wrapped a Netlify identity and they made much more progress with it than Netlify ever has. <laughs> uh, basically, because uh, they took it more seriously. Um, and Auth0 does serverless functions. What the hell? Why? That I don't <laughs> understand. Why on earth? Okay, all right. So here's uh, Auth0 actions. These, these, are all, these are all introduced. Uh, basically, Whenever you you sign in, you want uh, to execute some custom logic. They build an editor into their the platform, so you can you can write serverless code for off zero. See? Oh lord. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's a, that's the lambda right there. Okay, sure. <laughs> so so you know the off guys are doing compute. The storage guys are doing off. Like, uh, I think there's a there's like essentially what what I I'm trying to basically form a uh, not this one. Basically, it's trying to form a triangle. Uh, ignore. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, kind of like a triangle of like, here are here are all the players, and here here's where they all start out, and then um, you know I'll I'll have my I'll have my sort of beachhead here, beachhead here, beachhead here. But in right. order to grow, I have to grow in in one of these directions. You know. Right. Um, and that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to form a thesis around this. Like, so I have this is for individual APIs, and then this is for content. Maybe this is, maybe what I'm saying that this is for apps, you know, storage com competes with data, uh, compute, computes with off. And then this is for sites where it's uh, content rendering and infra, something like that. You know, that, that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the thesis that I'm forming. That's fascinating. This is a good one. Oh God, I'm gonna have to sit and think about this and get back to you, aren't I? Oh, this is really good. So there's, there's a question of like, should they bother, right? Should Gatsby bother making serverless functions because they're basically a shittier version of Nellify functions, right? Uh, but at the same time, Next.js has functions and it's fine, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. or API routes, right? Whatever you call it. What determines a good expansion and what determines a waste of time? Well, I, I assume that a bunch of these things they're doing is because their customers are asking for it. Like Gatsby, yeah. for example, they're like, hey, we just want to be able to call an API and not deploy two separate things. So can you give us functions? Mm -hmm. And I assume Gatsby is looking for customers and getting more people to pay for it. I assume they're doing it because Next.js and Vercel are doing it and people can easily move to Vercel because Vercel yeah. has functions. So they want to make sure that, so I assume that's one, one part of the story. Mm -hmm. But I can, with this whole DST thing, it feels like they're clearly moving away from their whole static asset as content story like my god yeah it's it, uh i don't know if you saw the the announcement i mean the where is gatsby for ah okay uh so i almost i almost tweeted out the screenshot um okay here you know you know how when uh, after the build of of a next.js site they'll, they'll give you a report of like what was uh statically generated what was uh Dynamic, what's the serverless functions? Sure. This looks familiar. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
I see. I see. Interesting. <laughs> okay. I, I think it's a little obvious then what's going on here. No, well, so the obvious thing is like kind of Gatsby just capitulating and just saying like, okay, we're a Next.js clone with a GraphQL layer, right? With a much bigger plugin ecosystem. And hopefully that will, that will make a lot of people happy. Um, but it's interesting, like Gatsby can quite conceivably just be a Next.js layer right now. Like they don't have to build all this. It, it already exists with Next.js. What they should focus on is actually the GraphQL data layer, right? And all their plugins. Um. So the mistake here would be thinking that they think that this is the end game, of course. Like I assume yeah. this is like first release part of the next thing we want to do is, oh my God, Gatsby on the blockchain, I bet. Like I want to see which is the first JavaScript framework that uses the word blockchain on their page. I haven't seen it yet. It's definitely <laughs> going to become a thing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so no, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to talk about Gatsby so much, more just about um, categorical imperative. Um, if you are a business in a, if you're a startup or a framework or a organization, you, uh, you have a goal, you, you achieve that goal. Then you start to look into what's, what's next. Everyone does this, right? Like I'm MongoDB. I like, I dominated NoSQL databases. Okay. What's next off. Oh, because they want to host entire <laughs> applications on the database. Yeah. Cause now, now they not... it, so why not have JavaScript as well? Right? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a. That's a good thesis. I would, uh, I would but, read it. So, but so far, Cloudflare is the the most concrete of those thesis theses, which is start with the CDN and build in. Um, and so far, I don't see anyone else doing that. So, I mean, that's that's kind of like the the framing of what I think your team is doing. Uh, it's kind of building so, out the, the future thing cloud. That Cloudflare is doing differently this year. The big deal is they want to fix their developer experience. Like they have no brand recognition. They're not even a contender when it comes. Like if you see the state of JavaScript uh, survey, the word Cloudflare or workers does not show up. Like oh. it's not there. Like wow. Deno has a way bigger presence and workers has a zero presence. The word doesn't even, isn't even there. Uh, and which is very strange for them because their tech is, their tech is very good. But then I actually tried using it. I was like, have you tried using this? You end up with like 40 different tabs open. What is the local development experience supposed to be? Uh, and the thing about developers is not that they will give you feedback on how to make it better, right? They'll be like, fuck this. I'm going to go on to Vercel or AWS and get to production tonight. I don't need, I don't need to kill this. So uh, the story is to fix the developer experience and to have a coherent story. One of the first part of that story is what we're calling Cloudflare pages, which is right now effectively just Jamstack. But as you can imagine, it's not, it, it is going to become a bigger thing because it'll be like, oh, now you can run workers with it and have API endpoints. Oh, now there's durable objects. Now there's this. So I would keep an eye on that. And of course, Glenn Madden is on it, who's also my close friend, but an incredibly smart guy. Uh, no, so chill. Just, I, I, got, I had a chance to hang out with him uh, for a conference. Um, and yeah, I love the guy. <laughs> awesome. I, I, love, I love basically all Australians in JavaScript are always a blessing. What the fuck is that? Why? How is that a thing? Why are suddenly like every person who knows JavaScript from Australia, like al also the accent, I think makes it sound sexier. Yeah. That, and, um, I, I think so. Yeah. But no, what is this whole, uh, it's not just, uh, it's Australia and it's Utah. For some reason, incredible JavaScript developers like from both those places. Udum? Well, who? Utah, like Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, Utah, Utah. Utah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, you know the joke, right? That's uh, the Book of Mormon is actually the script spec. 
That's what it is. That must be what it is. I bet. I bet somewhere in the temple there, uh, <laughs> I think like classes versus functions and stuff like that. I don't get it. Australians and uh, folks from Utah. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. Well, uh, I think that's a, like a natural ending point for a conversation. There. Uh, is there any other other uh, last topics or questions? Not really. It was just so nice to see you and talk to you again. I want to hang with you in real life and grab a beer, and we will do yeah. that when either I'm there or you come over. And I look forward to it, man. It was so nice seeing you today. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it was really great to catch up. Yeah, finally, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. Like, I, I, this was just a great experience for me. Awesome. All right. Well, have a have a great weekend. Cheers, man. Now. I will. Uh, I'll see you when I see you. Bye bye.